now sitting at the wave table. Hello everyone and welcome to the wave table episode 26. It's with great pleasure I bring to you our guest Alex today. How you going man? And also sorry I don't know how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay. It's Bochelle. Ah, uh, okay. I never would have got that. <laughs> no, that's actually funny. The last three podcasts I've been on, that's always the very first question <laughs> I get asked. <laughs> so you are not alone. <laughs> um. So yeah, how how you doing, man? What you been up to today? I'm doing well. A lot of family things this weekend. I I had a release on Friday, and then my wife and I went up to a cabin that her parents own in. Pennsylvania. So it's been nice to get away for the weekend. There's no phone signal, Wi-Fi or anything <laughs> up there. So it's great being able to just turn it off for a couple of days. Yeah, I've been I've had a mate that's done that recently as well. Uh shout out to Drea. And I was curious, like, what's it like just being completely away from the outside world and technology? Like, how do you stay like not bored, I guess? <laughs> It's interesting. It's it's weird because little things that would be boring in this home, like in normal society, are not boring when I'm out there in the middle of nowhere. Like I can right. go for a walk and dig up a, a pine tree on the side of the street and think, man, this is this is the life. Right. Or just have coffee outside in the morning or make a fire. And it's like because I'm so disconnected, those little simple things just are so much more fun. Um so it's just a weird change, like a whole shift in my mindset. Yeah. So like, because you're so disconnected, you're actually more connected to what's real, like the real world. Yes. It's, it's kind of like a, a reset. So then when mm. I come back to the real world, I can remember what it's like to be disconnected right. and try to keep myself more sane while I'm here. <laughs> yeah. It, it does get like pretty tough. Uh, I know a lot of people get caught up in this whole social media loop and just caring too much what other people think online. Yeah. Do you do you have any remedies for that? Anything that you do? Oh, God. I think, uh, as I've preached many times in the past, um, my remedy for that would just be watch Gary V and just <laughs> take from him just his energy of not giving a fuck what other people oh think. Oh my gosh. He's great. I, I could watch him for hours. Does he have any specific pieces of advice that you tend to cling to the most? Oh god. It's actually been a while since I've watched him, but like mm -hmm. I feel like I just hold on to the essence and like it's kind of just instilled it in me at this point. But yeah, I definitely yeah. recommend watching his like uh daily tea with gary v videos um but yeah since we're on the subject of like caring what other people think um your, your most recent release is a christmas song and i know yes a lot of people are like nah i'll never do a christmas song that's like selling out right <laughs> uh, <laughs> so was there any like any process or th thoughts behind doing a Christmas song that helped you like overcome or did you even have that fear in the first place that people would judge you? I didn't. And I think the biggest reason why I didn't is because I didn't really know that there was this animosity against doing uh, Christmas okay. music as it was selling out. And I, I just love Christmas. I love the lights and the food and everything. And so I just wanted to make a Christmas song because I really wanted to make a Christmas song. I just cool. thought it would be cool to have the jingle bells 
and I thought it would be cool to have just like a, a jolly sounding melody or something. Um, and so I just, <laughs> I just went and did it just for the fun of it. And I plan on doing it every single year. So <laughs> that awesome. by the time I'm like 40 years old, I'll have built up like 15 <laughs> Christmas songs, <laughs> just like my own little Christmas album, because there's a huge lack of Christmas EDM. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're just like so passionate about Christmas that all these people like are bringing negativity upon the music surrounding Christmas. You just like tuned them out because you yes. essentially didn't care, right? <laughs> you just yeah. love Christmas. And, and I, I feel like I'm also at the point where no one's really criticizing what I'm doing in particular. So I didn't really have to hear that. Yeah, true. In regards to myself, which. I'm sure if that were the case, it would be way harder. And I'd, I'm sure I'd have some problems dealing with it. But as it is right now, the only people that are criticizing are just like the few random people online. And yeah. Like one family member is like, Christmas, it's not even Thanksgiving. So oh, come on. You got it. It's <laughs> only a month out. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, it's a really short period of time. Yeah. And I get to try to push this Christmas song. And so I need to milk it out as long as i can so um on on that christmas tune you collaborated with christina f and i was wondering how that collaboration came about yeah so i have an awesome listener her name is ayana and i i don't even remember how she found me or how we met but it was through instagram and she actually ended up being the person that designed my logo I had a little logo contest and she designed it. And so every once in a while, we'll talk on Instagram about music or whatever. And she recommended Christina F because she listens to her as well. That's So awesome. I, I contacted Christina, told her I love her music. Um, we talked a little bit. And then a few months later, I asked her if she wanted to be on a Christmas song because I saw a post that she made and it was so perfectly timed because I really wanted to make a Christmas song, but time was kind of running out. Right. And she posted about how she missed a lot of the goals that she wanted to hit this year. And two of the goals, two out of maybe five or 10 goals, one was collaborate with an EDM producer. And the other one was make a Christmas song. <laughs> so I, was like, I will help you knock out two of those goals this month. Man, <laughs> what do you say? The stars just aligned for that one. Holy shit. <laughs> it was perfect. It was perfect. And I feel like a lot of, collaborations that i've done have had similar uh, moments where it just it just worked out perfectly in that moment yeah you've um i think it's almost every track you've released has been a collab with a singer or a, or a rapper um perhaps skullduggery was the only release that didn't have vocals on it that I was think. the last one that didn't have vocals there okay. were two before it but like okay. those those first three songs were like really when i was learning how to produce so uh there was no chance i was going to try to work with vocals <laughs> um so obviously the stars aligned for the collab with christina um but what about like the rapper and all the other vocalists you've worked with how did those come about most of them are pretty they vary a lot so i'll just kind of go back in time oh. uh the release before the christmas song i went to school with the person I was collaborating with. I actually went on a date with her at one point in college. Um, but she was in an acapella group that I really loved. And so 
whenever I, I posted on my social media, I said, I need a singer for this song. And she was one of the people that contacted me to throw her name into the ring. And if I have the chance to work with someone that I, I knew already, um, or that has friends like at my college, because I want people there to listen to my music, then I'm right. almost always going to go with that, with that yeah. person. So that's how we collaborated. I think a lot of people like try to jump on clout instead of just sticking with the people they know, but like, it's just going to come out so much like more naturally if you just go with the people, you know, I totally agree. I, it's way easier to go through the process, all the process, like the business process with them, the creative process, just knowing who they are and knowing that they're from like a similar place that you are. It just, Every time I do that, it works. It's worked so much better. Um, And so the person before that, do you know if you do music, then you may have heard of Adam Ivey? Oh, yes. Yes, I love Adam Ivey. Yes. He's like the Gary Vee of music. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I met Jennifer, the person I worked worked on, worked with for Chaos for the Fly. And she is one of his students. And I'm also one of his students. And so we connected there. I found one of her songs first. It is amazing. It's called Blue. So if anyone listening wants to hear Blue by Jennifer Jess, it's incredible. And I fell in love with that song. Asked her if she wanted to do a collaboration after we talked about her music for a while. Before that, the rapper, that one was the most random of all of them. I just posted on Facebook. I was like, looking for a rapper for this song. Here it is. And he was the first person that messaged me. And I didn't even really listen to his music first. Uh, I was just like, Yep, sounds good. Uh, and he <laughs> sent me his vocals, and I liked him a lot. So, like, we we didn't really collaborate that much. Like, I just asked him if he wanted right. to work on it. He sent me the vocals; it worked. That's and awesome. That history. <laughs> uh, person before that, similar deal with uh, she was from Virginia Tech, so I knew her through an acapella group there through my college. And the person before that, also acapella group. At my college. She's the person I did the remix for. And that's that's all my collaborations. So <laughs> I, I wish that um the rapper one would happen more often. Like every now and then I'll post <laughs> looking for a vocalist on social media, but obviously just like no one sees it. Um Yeah. Yeah. Uh but yeah, that's, since uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you go. <laughs> okay. Since you're a student of um of Adam Ivy, I just wanted to ask like have you, do you feel like it's worth the investment to be a student of him? Yes. I, so I'm just to clarify, I'm a student of his accelerated program, which is the one where I work one-on-one with him. Awesome. And to me right now, it was definitely worth it to have gotten the program. And the reason that is, is because I met a lot of people who have drastically changed my trajectory through him. Right. Um, Jennifer being one of them, another person who does a lot of marketing videos on YouTube named Andrew Southworth. He does a lot of EDM too. So that might be a name that you see at some point. They both helped me a lot with marketing and getting my music out there and then working with Adam, like getting feedback and sorry, (laughs) Um, getting feedback on things like critical feedback. Like people look at my feed and tell me what's wrong with it. Right. It's priceless. I, I wish I had more people that I can trust to just tear everything I do apart because that's always how I improve it. Well, cool. I've been considering like uh, signing up for his 
stuff for a while, but like I'm already subscribed to like another music education thing and I don't mm-hmm. want to be paying like hundreds of dollars for music education per month. <laughs> yeah, I think like if you have one, it's it's probably generally pretty good. Yeah. It's so easy to spend a lot of money on the music marketing oh, yeah. <laughs> education. But it's gotten to the point for me where every single time I see a new music marketing video, I get sick to my stomach because I'm like, I've heard this a million times and yeah. I'm so sick of hearing this. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd say you're probably good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm at that point as well. Um, but it, it would be cool to get like some specific one-on-one feedback marketing wise. worth it. Yeah. Um, cause the, the one I'm subscribed to is more about like the music side of things. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll switch it up at some point. Um, but yeah, I wanted to like take it back to before all this like awesome stuff started happening. Obviously like what you were doing before music was also awesome. Um, <laughs> Thank you. and I wanted to get like, I wanted to get you to ex- uh, tell us your story because I had a read through your website and it's really inspiring. Sure. Well, do you know where you want me to start? Because I can go like way, way back um, uh, to like how it all started, or I can start with like last few years. Uh, you can give us like a brief introduction of like who got you into music and that, but then also specifically the last few years. Um, very yes. inspiring. Yes. Yeah, so the first, gosh, the first song or the first band that I really loved was Linkin Park. Oh, I was yes. super into hard rock and new metal. Um, I eventually got more into like harder punk rock and heavy metal as well. And so I listened to them a ton in middle school. In eighth grade, I discovered a band called Sum 41. Yep. And I w- fell in love with the guitar riffs that they wrote. They were so catchy and creative. And most of the rock music I listened to up until that point didn't have that much variation to it. Yeah. And so I just loved the guitar. Um, that is when I decided I need to start playing the guitar, but I couldn't afford a guitar being in eighth grade. And my parents didn't want to just go get me a guitar because I had never really expressed interest in learning music before that. So they got me a paper jams guitar, which is a plastic guitar that is like a guitar hero guitar. It plays like (laughs) 10 different notes. And I recorded a song, a heavy metal song called, I have to go to the bathroom. And I, I did screamo vocals for it. And I swear, I'm so mad that I don't still have the recording because if I did, I would, I would release it as a legitimate single of mine. That would be um, great. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I played the drums with the drum app on my iPod touch and recorded yes. it just straight into the computer. And making that production was so much fun to me. Um, but that was like, so that was a long, long time ago. I didn't really get into writing music again until like later in high school and then in college, I was a very unconfident dude, especially in middle school and high school. I feel and that. So I, yeah, it, it was, I was just so socially awkward and I still am <laughs> pretty awkward at points, but I don't care nearly as much as I did then. Yeah. But I had trouble talking to people I didn't know. I didn't talk to girls very well, parents. Um, and then even when I, had conversation in my friend groups, I would stay quiet because I think that everything I would say would get ridiculed. Um, But I started getting into this whole 
self-help thing really early on. And I found an ebook called How to Always Know What to Say. And it basically just talked about how to have conversations with strangers. And I started practicing those things in high school, got a little bit better. And so by the time I went to college, I started, so I decided I wanted to join a fraternity that was just starting up on my campus. And I'm not sure how much you know about American fraternities and like all I know is the movies. (laughs) Yes. So terrible, (laughs) terrible reputation. But the person who was recruiting me was telling me that this is the chance to make it different because we can, we have all of these connections. We have all of these resources. We're just starting now. So you can help give it direction and make it the anti everything you see in the movies. Yeah. And so I joined, there were like 20 of us and I became vice president of recruitment. And so all of a sudden I went from not really being so sure about social interactions to doing so many interviews and meeting new people and all of this. And it just, I started turning what my weakness was into a strength through practice. And that boosted my confidence. At that point, I was studying computer science. And so I, and I was doing just fine with the computer science. And then my senior year comes around and I decide, wow, I, I spend my entire winter break making music. I had so much fun. I put so much energy into it. I basically spent every hour of the day doing it, but I could never do that with programming. And I yeah. could never strive to be the best programmer in the world because I just don't care that much. But if I put hard work behind music over the years, I have to make it at least enough so that I don't starve to death. And so I decided then to do it. That next year, I had a job with the fraternity that I was talking about in college, like a full-time job where I traveled living out of my car. <laughs> uh, not, I, I didn't stay in one spot for more than three days. Usually I slept on couches of these different fraternity houses. I didn't have my own space to, to live. I yeah. basically all my stuff would freeze overnight because I was oh in my God. Vermont and Maine, which is, coldest part of the United States, pretty much other than Alaska. And through that, it just kind of compounded like that confidence because I, (laughs) it's such a weird thing walking into a room with a hundred frat dudes in college who don't believe what you're trying to teach them. And you spread a better fraternity and try to convince them otherwise. Like doing that is so awkward and weird, but I just did it enough that it became like second nature. And so it's funny because that whole story, it barely revolves around the music, Yeah, (laughs) but the music, the creative part, that was always kind of something I wanted. And so I didn't really even start learning how to produce EDM until almost two years ago. So I'm still like pretty new to the game and all of this, but I knew like after that job ended, I'm just going to do it full time. I, I shouldn't be financially. Definitely not. Um, especially whenever I actually did start, but I can figure it out and that I will figure it out. Attitude is why I'm here right now. Hell yeah, man. See, I don't know. That's just like, so inspiring to me. Just like, cause you, you, you could have taken the easy path, but the easy path is really the hard path because you're doing something that you don't want to do. Um, like that, what, what you're doing right now, it's hard, but like, it's the right thing. 
and I urge other people out there to like, as long as you're not going to become homeless, fucking yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> that if I could put that up on a quote and like stick it to my wall, I, I would definitely do that. And you're right. It's taking the easy path is harder or sorry. How did you, how did you phrase that? I don't want to, I think like ta- the taking the easy path is harder in the long run because like you regret it. Right. But like, Exactly. Uh, what you're doing now, it's it's hard for now, but it's like the right path. It doesn't necessarily become easy, but it's the right path. Yes, exactly. And choosing to do it right now is so difficult, and it's weird how difficult it is. But once you make the decision, um, especially if you close the other doors, it just becomes like, oh, so fulfilling. Like, this is the life that I need, and I'm living it right now, and I'm happy right now. And I want more success, but I'm happy right now. And that's exactly so important. Like, dude, hell, I, you know, I haven't made it. I'm not like a staple of the dubstep scene or anything. I don't <laughs> have much money, but like every day when I'm doing this shit, I'm just like, there's nothing that else that I would rather be doing, you know? Exactly. And I don't know if you've talked about that much on the podcast. Maybe every single person you have on asks you, but how did you come to the decision to like, make this what you want to do uh so basically like uh i was trying to do university to like figure out what i would do in life like i went through a bunch of different courses but the only one i ever actually finished was um a bachelor of audio um (laughs) specializing in post-production but then you know i've kind of like I, I learned stuff from that that can apply to music and social media and content creation and all that. But at the end of that, I kind of figured out that I just don't like working on other people's projects uh, unless it's something that I'm very passionate about. But you can't afford to pick and choose which projects you work on uh, and still make a living. <laughs> yes, I found that to be difficult as well. Like I... I love working on my thing, but working with other people and their thing is so much work without the same fulfillment. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. Exactly. Like the fulfillment is replaced with money and this is like, whatever. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so I don't know what the weather is like for you right now, but uh, over here, it's pretty much summertime, except for the fact that I got rained on today. Um <laughs> but yeah, your your music is great for summertime. Like it just has like those happy positive vibes. Um so like who are some of your main influences with this style of music? The the number one is Alan Walker mm. because he is the reason I got into EDM production. I I like heard him fall in my junior year. I had never listened to EDM before. And then by the next year, I was like, I'm going to do this for a living. Um, so I'd say he's, he's number one. Um, but a lot of the music I listened to beforehand was folk music and solo okay. piano. And so I take a lot of what I liked about folk music and then the punk rock that I really loved, the really uppity punk rock. And that is that in combination with Alan Walker and some other EDM artists as well, like Vice Tone. I listen to them a ton. I listen to this one named Kamikaze. I don't know if anyone really knows him. Um, he's got 
he doesn't have that many uh, listeners, but his music's incredible. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned it's good for summer because a lot of people say that, but I never try to make it good yeah. for summer except for the songs that have summer in the title. Yeah. I think it's just like, I don't know, it's just a kind of association thing with that genre. It's just like so upbeat and happy, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really go well with the sad winter vibes. So I guess people just associate it with summer. Yes, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, Alan Walker, I definitely got that from your first song on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> just <Yep>. abusing <laughs> that Alan Walker preset. <laughs> Dude, 100%. That's all. Th- that song was made when I first, as, uh, the first song, To the River Otter. Is that the one you're thinking of? Or, uh, or no? Uh, or sure, I'm not sure. <laughs> Because the, the, that first one, To the River Otter, I made that after downloading the Alan Walker sample pack that some guy on YouTube made. So it is 100% his sounds, and I didn't really change them at all. <laughs> I, it's still a good way to learn, though, and like put your own spin on it. Um, yes. And you definitely do put your own spin because your melodies are like catchy as fuck, and I'm assuming that comes from like the, the folk and solo piano background just like the intricacy of that would allow you to create more catchy melodies in edm Um, yes and first of all thank you (laughs) that's That's like the melody is my is the number one thing that i want to be yeah like if if nothing else if my song has a good melody then i'm really happy with it so I, i do play the piano and so a lot of the melodies are just me messing around on the piano. And that helps me to make more complex ones than just putting notes on the piano roll. But I still put notes on the piano roll most of the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess just a quick side note, like uh, a catchy melody is great for like getting the average listener into your music because, you know, an average listener doesn't really care about having a, a great mix. Like, you can put a song out and it's literally just someone whistling a melody. It can be completely unmixed and it'll still get stuck in someone's head. So, Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, ha- I need to remember that and remind myself of that all the time because I'm sure you do this too. I haven't oh, yeah. met a producer that doesn't do this, but you just tear your song apart. Like you'll, you'll be listening to it and just find all the things wrong with it and be down on yourself, but then no one else is going to hear that yeah. whatsoever. They're yeah. like, God, it sounds great. It sounds so professional. Like you didn't, you didn't hear that like weird throat sound that just happened there that you didn't edit out. Or like you didn't think that the snare was too far to the left. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how we as producers overcome that. Yeah, I guess it's just like a matter of just learning to like live with it and just kind of you know <laughs> see see past it, like kind of try to ignore that <laughs> that part in yourself, I guess. Yeah, um, it's a loud part. <laughs> uh so have you got like any tips for people who want to improve the catchiness of their melodies perhaps people who haven't got experience playing piano and that yes so most of the songs that i have the melody that i wrote is like the fifth or sixth version of that melody um that i make one of the things that i do to just make a lot of songs is make a new song every week uh, in one sitting just like seven hours start to finish it it's not going to be well mixed like your ears are going to be so fatigued that all sorts of things are going to be really screwed up but it gets you to like 
create a canvas and then I'll like take the melody. So once I think it was good enough where I just left it, but I'll just take all the melody out and then just listen to the, the chords and the bass line and just make a melody and then stop and then go make another melody. And I just do it until one of them makes me want to stand out, stand right. off my chair and dance. And when I get to the point where I'm like dancing around the room to something I made, that's when I know like, okay, this is it. We're going to move forward with this, but I don't do it until I'm like so happy about it that I'm dancing to it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, uh, that's kind of like, I guess it's a process of um, curation. Like, yes, mm -hmm. yes, you are creating the melodies, but you're not, you're not trying to make this one melody into this perfect thing. You're just like throwing ideas at the wall until something sticks, essentially. Yeah, and it feels good because I'm like getting all of the mm. whatever's inside of me that makes me want to be creative out. Yeah, And so if I can do that, then I can have more fun with it because I'm not being so hard on myself about fixing this one perfect melody. It's yeah. like, no, I'm just, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to make a bunch and it's going to be fun. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people have this idea. I don't, maybe it's just me, but I feel like a lot of people have it um, where you think that the first melody you write in like each day is going to be the most creative melody that you write mm -hmm. that day. And so they, they hold on to it, but like, it's simply not true. You just need to like get all of the creativity out. Right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I fall into that too. There's plenty of things where like, I wrote a song. There are like two songs that I wrote in high school, like lyrics and melody. And to this day, I'm still like, those are the best songs I've ever written. There's no way I'm making something better than that. Um, and they're, there are two songs that I will be releasing this year. So we'll see how messed up like my own idea of my music is um, when I put it out, but that'll be a fun experiment. I feel like artists often have like drastically different views of their own music uh, than what the, the listeners have. Like I'll see so many people posting on whips on social media and they're like, Yo, I uh, created this track today, but you know, it's, it's not that great. I think I'm just going to delete it. And then like all the comments are just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you need to put this out right now. <laughs> we hate you for thinking that sucks. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, the amount of like talented people that I see like posting whips on social media and not being proud of them. I'm just like, okay, just send it to me then. And I'll say I did it because yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm like, I've had that too, where I just like, just some SoundCloud guy I come up on and it just sounds great. And they clearly haven't made music in five years. I'm like, Hey man, love what you got here. Can I have it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's worth a shot. It is worth a shot. And then, and then there are the people who, who will do that, but then they'll also spend like 120 hours on a song that they think is going to be great. And then, no one listens to it. Like, how, yeah. is that, how does that happen? Yeah, that's another thing. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like, you see this a lot, people thinking that one song is going to be their big break, you know. Um, I kind of had that feeling with a, a tune that I finished recently, and then mm -hmm. I started submitting it to labels and just no one is taking it. So, uh, it, it really puts things into perspective. Like, you... <laughs> As artists, we want to say quality over quantity, but quality, like, it stops at some point. You just got to stop working on things and focus on getting more stuff out there. 
Yeah. And it's similar to what you were saying before. If like the base idea of the song isn't catching people's attention, then no matter how much you perfect the mix of each element or the layering, it's just not going to connect with people unless you go on to the next thing. Exactly. Um, it's just so hard to like, you can never know if it is. And so it's, it's tough if you're trying to pump things out, but yeah. if you're enjoying it and being creative with it and um, just not hold, like, I think the big thing for me was for a while I would make a bunch of music, but I would pick and choose what I thought was worthy. Yeah. But I got to a point where I was like, what if I just, what if I just finish this, even though I don't think it's worthy, but I really like these aspects of it. And then I, exactly. I work on it more, start to like it. And then it becomes a more popular song than anything I had before. Um, it's just so strange how that works. It's really that thing where like, there's always like one man's trash is another man's treasure. You know, the, mm -hmm. You may think your song is shit, but someone else is going to think it's the best song in the world. Exactly. I mean, just look at like lo-fi beats. Like if you put out a lo-fi beat 10 years ago, people would just think like, what the hell is this? This is trash. It's just, you made it sound <laughs> worse on purpose. Why would you do that? And now it's like this massive genre that <laughs> pretty much no one saw coming. <laughs> and it's the same thing with like you submitting the labels. I mean, you could submit to 50 labels, they all reject you, but then your song still gets big if it finds yeah, the right true. audience. It's just, it, it's so hard to judge art in that way. Yeah, I'm definitely going to self-release it if it doesn't find a label by like early next year. Um, I love that. And yeah, since we're talking of kind of like uh, doing a bit more quantity, like, you know, there is quality to an extent, but you do have to, you know, pump out the tunes at a, a at a decent rate to not just get mm -hmm. all your eggs in one basket. Um, do you have any like production templates or processes that you repeat uh, on most, if not all, of your tracks that just help you get out that consistent output? It's not very structured. I the most structured I get with like repeating a process is I make the new song every week. And so yep. there's an idea and I have this huge pool of ideas I can pull from. And then I'll have like my Fruity Loops template, which I made. And all it is, is like mixer tracks colored. Um, I already have like a normal kick drum. I have a snare buildup. I have like yep. the basic instruments so that I can just throw things in there. Cool. And then if I like it with those simple things, then I'll just start to jazz it up and put better samples in that fit the, fit that style more. Um, but beyond that, I don't really, um, probably the biggest thing that I do that increases my productivity is I, I try to do one hour of music production in the morning before I do anything else. Um, because I, I feel really energized, like right when I wake up. So I wake up, take like 10 minutes and then just sit down and just make music. And for some reason, that's the time of day when I can make something interesting. <laughs> but beyond those things that that's pretty much my only structure right now cool i think that like having a somewhat loose structure like that is actually good because i recently had like a really really structured template like very specific places <laughs> uh for all my sounds even like uh eqs already set just like cutting the lows out of certain channels but i felt that's like smart. <laughs> It's smart, but I felt like it was kind of limiting me in a sense. Like sometimes mm -hmm. you do want those lows to be there in other things 
like than just the sub because sometimes that's what actually makes the track that's very true yeah and there was actually a uh, um compression that i i did put on my master for my template and i thought well i use these same settings like every single time and then i was working on one song and it just sounded terrible for some reason yeah. and then i realized it was just because i was mixing it into the same compression i used for like the last five songs and it just didn't work so i definitely can see how it, it, you need to find like perfect middle ground of everything that will help you but don't hold that doesn't hold you back and yeah that's probably a hard middle ground to find it, it definitely is i would say at the very least try to make a lightweight template that doesn't include mm-hmm. too many plugins yeah that's probably the best way to go color stuff make it look pretty yeah <laughs> but not too much uh bells and whistles so i want to move on now to the kind of promotional side of things because that's another thing that was part of your website um you have a couple of playlists with solid fan bases and I don't believe I've ever really spoken to like a Spotify playlist or on the podcast before. So do you want to give us like a brief overview of like how those playlists came about and like what goes into it? Yes. So <clears throat> this is one of the reasons that being one of Adam Ivy's students has been super helpful because I met this guy named Andrew Southworth and him and I are huge nerds. We love Facebook ads and data and collecting all of it and everything. And he, he added my song Orno to two of his playlists. And those were the first two playlists I was ever added to. And I was so through the roof because every song before that was just torn apart by submit hub and similar outlets. And so him and I got to talking and we talked about how he grew his playlist. And he told me he started out just, putting it in a story uh, and DMing people who said that they were interested in it. And then he started using Facebook ads and then mm. he could basically get a new follower on a playlist for five cents. And so to get a thousand followers on a playlist and be eligible to be a curator on things like submit hub or playlist push, it didn't cost that much money. Right. And so I put together like six playlists um, and I started experimenting with those. And of the six, the two that I have, the two main ones I have, those were the ones that succeeded. So the rest of them crashed and burned. They <laughs> cost a lot, um, lost money there. And that's just how the game works sometimes. But these two, it's like probably put in like a hundred bucks and got them to a thousand followers. And that's how my music was getting most of its streams. And then went through Submit Hub. And once I started doing Submit Hub, like those artists sharing the playlist when they got put on it, started growing it. And so it just, start growing faster and faster that is amazing like one a hundred dollars for a, a such a substantial playlist that is just awesome but as you said like it, it came with losses as well so yes uh, anyone who's listening to this like again don't put all your eggs in one basket be aware if you do this kind of stuff it does come with losses and you just have to keep trying until you find out what works exactly and with the facebook ads part of it like growing a playlist just, I think the best way of looking at it is say, I'm going to put this much money every month into experimenting. If I, if I win, if I, if I get something good, great. But if I don't, that's part of the learning process and I'm okay with losing this amount. Um, otherwise, it just drives you crazy because you try one thing and you're like, this is going to work. And then, like you said, 
the eggs are in one basket and it fails and just demotivates you so much that you stop trying. But if you go into it knowing it's totally going to fail, but let's see if we can make it <laughs> succeed, then yeah. yeah, it's a lot easier. Yeah, just like consider your money already lost and if it happens to you know end up working then you got your money back and you got some extra um yep exactly so since you brought up submit hub i wanted to quickly draw attention to that as well because i think uh, a lot of artists can gain value from it and they don't really know about it or necessarily know what it is so you being a curator on submit hub you can probably explain it a little better than I can. Yes. So it's at its core, it's to connect music promotion services with artists looking to promote their music. And it was created because the founder owned a blog and he was tired of going through emails to find new music. from people. Yeah. And so he just created a platform that would make the connection between the promoter and the artist a lot easier. And so you basically go on there you look through a bunch of blogs or Spotify playlist curators or YouTube playlist curators. Now they have influencers, so you can look through Instagram and TikTok influencers. Basically send them your song and they can listen to it. They listen to it for five seconds if you just want to submit it for free um, or at least 20 seconds if you want to pay for submitting. And the, the success rate's pretty dang low. Yeah. But if you put in the work and research the people that you're submitting to and make sure you're submitting to the right playlist, it can be a lot more helpful. Yeah. And uh, the cool thing that I liked about Submit Hub is uh, if you don't get accepted, you actually get your credits back. So you're not like wasting money submitting to um, people and then getting uh, declined by them. You do. It depends, actually, because if you oh, if yeah. you submit your music to someone with a premium submission and they decline it, then you actually don't get your money back. Oh, um, I thought I could swear I got all my credits back when I uh, was doing a change of heart EP. But um, if they don't reply in a certain period of time, then uh, you do get so okay. they'll still listen to it and give you a decision. But they'll also they also won't get any payment for it. Um, I'm not really sure how the free ones work, but for the premium ones, like, like I'll still get paid like 50 cents for listening to a song that I, uh, deny. And that's pretty cool. So yeah. Um, having like a thousand people have a thousand follower playlist on Spotify. Um, was that pretty much just like the path into submit hub or was like there, was there other stuff that you had to do? That was uh, it was actually a little bit longer for me because I I was so excited by my friend's Andrew's success with his playlist that I just like like the playlist that I grew when that when my two playlists did work it was like maybe a week after I put a lot of money in in just one week which is not the not a good way to do it at all so if anyone's listening and wants to make a playlist don't try to grow it to the optimal size in one week and so the people at Mithub were like. Your playlist was like zero followers two weeks ago, and now it's at a thousand. That looks pretty sketchy. Yeah, and so I had to send them pictures of all of my Facebook ads, <laughs> all of everything, to show that it wasn't bots on my playlists. Yeah. Um, and they ended up still denying it. So then, wow. a month and a half later, I reapplied, showed them the steady growth, showed them again all of the Facebook ads, um, showed them like my demographic for my listeners because that's where my music was getting 
the vast majority of its plays with my own playlist, show them where the cities are. None of them were like bot traffic cities or anything like that. And everything looked normal. So they accepted me, but it was pretty straightforward. You put in a, an application. It's got a couple of questions. Um, took 15 minutes, maybe to the actual application, not the whole taking pictures of the ads. Awesome. Um, so your site also states that you help artists with like setting up Facebook ads, uh, but just getting their music out there, right? Yes. So even though I'm a curator in Submit Hub, I still, I, th- I don't think it's the best way to promote your music. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of Facebook ads yeah. that send people to your artist profile. And so once I started figuring out how to do that, I just started helping out my friends who wanted to do it too. And I, I don't really like have, like, I don't really charge for, that service i just help them get it set up if they want me to run their ads then i would i would charge them but right now it's just like consulting with people showing them my progress um explaining what they could probably expect but that method has been very very helpful because unlike playlists you you get people who go to your page because they like you specifically and so yeah they're going to listen to multiple songs they're going to save your song and so your song can get a super high save rate, um, a super high repeat listen rate. And that stuff never happens with playlists really. So yeah. that is why I'm a huge proponent of the, the Facebook ads. Yeah, man. I, uh, I had a few people like wondering why I was doing Facebook ads and like, instead of playlisting, but like, as you said, like, I feel like when you listen to a playlist, oftentimes the people who made the, the music are essentially nameless because mm-hmm. you you find a playlist so that you don't have to put any thought into like, yes. the music, <laughs> exactly. right? <laughs> it's exactly right. Um, what has your experience been so far with the Facebook ads? Have you been liking them? Have they worked decently uh, well? I've only really like seriously done Facebook ads for my recent EP, Change of Heart, and. Mm-hmm. The way I did those was I wasn't trying to gain listeners from like outside of my bubble. I was just oh, trying okay. I was just trying to make sure that everyone who knows me heard the new EP. That's super smart. Um yeah, cuz I feel like people often aim like super wide and they target people who don't even listen to e- EDM. And it's like yeah, oh. that's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah, I I get music ads from people who I I never listened to that genre ever. Yeah. So I don't know what about me like warrants me getting those ads. <laughs> they they probably just didn't even have a demographic other than like age or something. Yep. Like send it to everyone 18 to 25 <laughs> in the entire world. That's yep. 400 million people or something. Probably more than that. Um, but yeah, it's super cool that you're offering that service to people. Um and yeah, if anyone is interested in that or any of the other stuff we've talked about through the podcast, there'll be a link to all of Alex's stuff in the description. Um, what's up next for you, man? Like we've got this uh, Christmas together is out now. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm assuming between now and Christmas, you're not going to release anything, right? I'm not. <laughs> if I have a miracle new Christmas song, then I'm like, yes, <laughs> I'll just push it out. But. No, the next, next for me, nothing will come for me until, until January. Um, but what I'm looking to get more into is 
combining more of the folk elements that I like Ooh, okay. in music with electronic. So it'll be it'll be similar to Avicii in the sense that he had an acoustic guitar and he had EDM. Yeah. But I want to branch into more styles. So one of the first ones that will come out will be a future bounce, but also kind of folk <laughs> song. That's and so it'll oh. be heavily influenced with acoustic guitar and um, kind of like a folk percussion sound but it will be like future bands. Like it'll be true EDM at the same time. And so I want to explore that a lot more this upcoming year, because that's kind of what I want people to associate with my name. Um, oh. Moving forward. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Cause that sounds like it's such an interesting combination of styles. Hell yeah. I'm so <laughs> glad. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to wrap it up here. Thanks you. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Alex. And yeah, yeah, again, check his stuff out in the description. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah. Later, guys.